Oh, we're so close to one another. I know. Never been this close to you before. Uh. <laughs> I think I think this is gonna sound fine. Yeah, it'll be it'll be okay. Yeah. Well, hello and welcome to <laughs> the very first episode of Better Half Knows Best. We don't have a tagline yet, but this is a podcast about <laughs> two people who are in a relationship. Uh. We are engaged to be married Ooh. in a couple of months. How many days is it? 92. 92 days from now we'll be married. So we're already calling each other uh, each other's better half, I think. Is that where we are? Yeah. I mean, I haven't said that explicitly, but... Right. I think. Well, you know that I'm your better half. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, so this podcast is... Um, it's a it's a learning experience. Um, we're gonna we're gonna teach each other things because there's a lot of things that we are both interested in um, that we share, but there's also probably more things that only one of us are interested in, and so we're going to be just sharing little things that we learn throughout the week um, and talking about it. So um, as as is normal, uh, I have no like notes or anything. I just have some source material in front of me. Um, but Sam, you know what we didn't do? What? We'd never introduced our names. Oh, yeah. I'm Sam. I'm Wait, Ty. Wait, you said we were Ty and Sam. You did. Did I? Yeah. Man, you know what would be nice? A better memory. Yes, but also if we had a list of things that we need to cover before we get into the episode oh yeah maybe we should have talked about that before we started that's fine next okay. time we'll have a list now we know yeah i mean it's the first one so we don't have that much to cover really right except who well we are. says you i have i have a lot of things to cover look at all my notes i have so many things okay all right well i'll let you go first oh my gosh and then um and then i'll go after you oh i'm kind of nervous <laughs> No one's even listening right now. I'm listening. You are, yeah. 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 Okay. I'm just talking to you. Okay, so earlier today, we had a conversation about the kitchen sponge and how it was dirty and how we needed a new sponge. And I said, well, I wanted to get something more sustainable than a kitchen sponge. And you're like, what do you mean? And I was like, it's plastic. And you're like, no, it's not. Uh... So I know that's a really silly thing, but I, for my envision, vision for this podcast is like learning the stories behind things that are like part of your everyday life, but you don't know that much about. And so sponge, for example, it's like, where did that come from? And maybe that won't be interesting, but we'll see. I found some cool facts. Okay. Well, go ahead and share them. Um, okay. So the first website that I found was very simple and helpful in the timeline of the sponge. Um, <laughs> and it described it as inconspicuous yet indispensable tool for cleanliness. So there's that. Okay. Um, so essentially dishes were washed before sponges. You may be wondering, well, how did people wash their dishes? <laughs> I didn't think people had dishes before sponges. Well, they did. <laughs> um, 
and they used their hands, soda, rags. Um, however, it was difficult to like remove grease from the the dishware. So um, in the Middle Ages, like a wisp became started being used. So it's like a product of the sea, I believe. It's like a sea sponge. Um, it described it as the great grandmother of polyurethane foam sponge. So it's like the first, first part of, or like the beginning, our cats meowing outside the door. Mm. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, okay, so, um, and so it appeared in the Mediterranean countries because it was a product of the Mediterranean Sea. And then um, they started using the Caribbean one because it was like harder and more, uh, it like washed off dirt better. Um, and then the, the website said, but something, there was still something wrong with that sponge. Um, so in the first half of the 20th century, polyurethane foam appeared and it was invented by chance. Actually, it was an accident. They're like, oh, shoot, did the wrong thing. Um, we got this foamy like plastic thing that we didn't try. We weren't trying to make. Um, it was uh, invented by Otto Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R. Bayer? Uh, Bayer. Um, who was a German scientist. Um, so then I went into a, a bit of a rabbit hole on polyurethane. Um, and at that point, it had been used for quite a while um, for, like, wires and children's toys, but it was always, like, a harder type of polyurethane. Um, and then Bayer. Is that how you pronounce it? Bayer. Bayer. It's, like the, Bayer. He- it's like the headache medicine bear you take a isn't that it you take a bear and it's like for headaches sounds like bear to me i don't know oh a bear <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of bear yeah um so anyway he um was using it as like harder material but then they realized that this could be really profitable like, the porous and, like, soft material could be used to wash things. Um, So a bit of history on polyurethane. Um, I'll give you, like, some examples of what's in polyurethane because, like, the example today of Ty being, like, there's no plastic in a sponge. I think about this all the time. It's, like, there's so many things that are integrated into our life now that, like, you don't even think about as being plastic. Mm -hmm. And it's just incredible. Like, it's in everything. Um, And so... It's like, what did they use before plastic? Like, I don't even know. And so it's been a really interesting, like, learning experience to, like, how was this made? Like, what did someone use before before it? Anyway, so in 1953, shoe soles were invented instead of leather, so they used polyurethane. And then in 1958, spandex were created. Um, in 1967, the first entirely polyurethane car was created what yeah there's a entirely plastic car (laughs) that insane wow it's exhibited in germany you could go see it those germans keep popping up in this i know i think they're a large a large contributor um and then 69 nice their automobile bumpers um 1970 they started being used for medical purposes 1972, um, it was used as, like, coding for tracks, like, in Olympic games and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
1973, Wheels for Roller Skates. Um, and then I could go on for a bit, but surfboards were created in 1981. The soccer ball, like the polyurethane soccer ball. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, I don't know. I just like thought that was the only soccer ball that has ever existed, you know? But it's not. It's not. It was only invented in 1990. Um, bicycle tires, car tires. Um, let's see. And then, so now in 2011, the most recent thing is it's being used. Um, they're using carbon dioxide as an ingredient for polyurethane in Germany. So I guess that's good for the environment because they're trying to utilize carbon dioxide. Um, anyway, so the official definition of polyurethane is um, composed of organic units joined by something. I don't know. Carb. I can't read my handwriting. Carbamate and urethane links. Something like that. Okay. It's science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So... Why is this like bad? As I've been indicating this whole time. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you know anything about why like polyurethane is why we shouldn't get a polyurethane sponge? Because it does not break down. Yeah. So it is like I couldn't find exactly what how long it takes a sponge to decompose, but. A similar material is a polyurethane, like, foam couch cushion. It was describing it as they use the same material to make it. And that takes a thousand years to decompose. A thousand years for a couch cushion? hmm Yeah. So, and then I was looking at, like, so how often... So these things aren't, like, reusable, really. Like, you can use it, and then it gets gross, and you have to throw it away, right? So on line it says like every five to seven days you should replace your sponge because the porous material collects bacteria and so if one household was to follow that criteria every five days replace their sponge that's 73 sponges a year there are 122.3 million households in the u.s alone so for one year that's eight billion nine hundred and twenty nine million three hundred and sixty thousand sponges that are being put in the landfill and it's the whole sponge that is made of polyurethane yeah i thought they were just made of sponge like no it so it used to be but now it's plastic so like it used to be from like the mediterranean or the caribbean sea but then now it's plastic um so yeah it's pretty bad so it's also made like with bleach assorted sulfates chemicals and synthetic foam but all of those things are, like, also not compostable. So, anyway, uh, so, and additionally, it, like, can have plastic in general can have negative effects, like, on when it's being created, like, um, it has, um, what's it called? A, like, not aroma, but it's, like, a... A stink. No, <laughs> like, it creates... A vapor, the vapor can cause like asthma, um, lung damage, cancer, skin and eye irritation, all kinds of stuff like that. So that's when it's like curing, but when it's done curing, so that's only really a risk for people who are making it. But then afterward, the chemicals from it can like seep into the packaging or like out of it, so into the foods that they contain. 
So like like if you're holding a sponge all the time in the sink and like be on you. Anyway, so I found some do and do nots for sponges, which I thought were handy to know. Um, so do clean your sponge daily, which we don't do. Um, so we probably have a bacteria filled sponge. Um, so to clean. <laughs> By the way, our sponge looks, I can tell you, yes, it's filled with bacteria. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, it's really bad. But I don't want to throw it away because then we have to buy a new sponge. Yeah, anyway, so um, so the way that you can clean your sponge is like get it a little wet and then put it in the microwave or you can boil it. Um, so do not keep it for longer than five to seven days, apparently, according to the internet. Um, and. Uh, 17% of people keep sponge until it falls apart. One in five keep it for five weeks, and one in ten people will keep it for a month or longer. I don't even know how long we've had our it's sponge. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a really long time. Um, okay, so another do is start a new cycle. So you can wash it in the wash machine. So it was talking about, like, wash washing cloths and stuff, too. Don't wipe up meat ju- juices, which I feel like. We know you're pretty particular about that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so replace it frequently and then keep it dry is one of the biggest things. Um, so how can we solve this problem? Um, you can buy a compostable sponge um, that is 100% cellulose sponges are biodegradable and compostable. Um, and then you can preserve like the length of life of your sponge by microwaving it or boiling it. Um, and then one sponge that I found that's only one seventy five per sponge is like it's called natural value and it's like a walnut post consumer organic walnut shell material. Mm. So I ordered us some biodegradable sponges today, and it came in a six pack and it was like less than two dollars a piece. So. Cool. And it has like a little hangy thing so we can hang it and it will dry and then it won't collect as much bacteria. And we can boil it. Yeah. So it said one household alone um, can fill up a landfill for 52,000 years. Just for sponges. Jeez. That's a lot of sponges. Yeah. Hey, y'all, take care of your sponges, okay? <laughs> really treat them well. And uh, extend the life of those bad boys, or just buy biodegradable ones so they don't fill up the landfills. Yeah, the ones I found on Amazon are even like wrapped in paper, so it's not in plastic to begin with. Okay. But it might yeah. be like sent to us in a plastic packaging. Probably. Like, from Amazon, which would be a bummer, but oh well. No, we can we can link that those sponges in the show notes. We can. There was a lot of op- like options, so I don't know if this is like the best one, but. Sometimes I don't know which one to pick, so I just, like, look at a few reviews and I'm like, this one, okay, sounds good. So. Cool. Do well, your research, folks. I know a lot more about sponges now. You. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like you weren't super interested in that. Too. No, I was. You kept saying, <laughs> you said earlier, you're going to think my thing's silly or dumb. Like, no, I th- I think everyone's going to think that. Why is she talking about sponges? No, it's, it's important. Like, you got to understand, like, how much trash you're making. And, like, is it trash? Like, or is it... Like, trash is, like, food. 
You know, like you throw away like food trash. That's one thing. But like you throw away Even something that, that like, can't. Hopefully we can like compost, compost, like start composting. Yeah, right. But... Um, yeah, well, it's important and I don't think it's stupid. So there. Did you? Okay. So you think it's not stupid, but do you think it's interesting? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I think, well, I mean, I didn't know anything about, like, I thought sponges legitimately were just made of sea sponge. And I was like, how, how are we going to keep up the sea sponge population if we keep making so many sponges? But now I know that they're made of plastic, essentially. Yeah. So that is interesting to me. Also, like, the history of it is kind of cool. Like, Mm -hmm. everything came from somewhere. Bayer. Yeah. For coming up with the sponge. He started a plastic revolution mm-hmm. that is leading us into a deep, dark hole. Mm-hmm. You ready to hear about my thing? Yeah. Is okay. it chicken? It's not chicken in general. It's it's uh, more related to frying. Okay. Um, I want to talk about frying things because I tried to make um, some fried chicken the other day and it turned out not good. Because I've never fried chicken before, and I didn't know about frying. Um, but uh, I decided to turn to um, the the expert on all things food, um, Mr. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, uh, for some tips on frying things. And I have those tips in front of me, and I'm going to just read Should some of them to you. Should we say who that is? I feel like no one knows Who's who's that? Who's G- that person you, you just said? You don't know who Jake Kenji Lopez Alt is? No. Oh, I mean everybody else will. Will they really? <laughs> no, I didn't know who Jake Kenji Lopez Alt was until I well, until I heard of him. Jake Kenji Lopez Alt is a um he's I mean I don't know how much like culinary school experience he has. I really haven't done a whole lot of, of like research on him. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be my next thing. Let me just tell you about Jake and Jalopa's all. But he is... Um, I like that you say his whole name every time. Yeah, it's uh, it's important too. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a tongue twister that I've mastered. Um, but uh, Jake and Jalopa's Alt is uh, a food scientist. Um, he talks about... He like will do like experiments on food and we'll find out like the best way to prepare certain things um, based on like what's happening to them chemically when you cook them. Mm-hmm. Um he should become a polyurethane chemist. I think he should stick with food. He's probably really good at that. Um, so I have in front of me um, a book called The Food Lab, which it's it's called The Food Lab, but I keep calling it The Food Bible um, because it basically is on biblical proportions of how just like expansive it is. Um, and so I'm here uh, on the chapter about deep frying because that's how i fried the chicken i deep fried it um and so i there's so many things that happen when you put food into a deep fryer um and you put it into hot oil um to fry it to fry it it does it fry it is that Mm -hmm. what your question it does fry it um but chemically there's a lot of things that are happening um and just uh well let me start reading and I'll you tell you. Read the whole thing to me? No, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. Um, uh, I'm gonna break it down in bullet point form for you. Okay. Um, okay. So 
when you put food into a fryer, um, sorry, sweaters are coming on and off in this in this recording. Sorry, I didn't mean to be so distracting. Um, so when you put something into a fryer, uh, the first thing that happens to it is it starts to um, dehydrate. Um, so the everything that we like, pretty much all foods that we cook. Um, are going to have some sort of moisture in them. So Mm -hmm. um, water that is inside of food and like breading and things like that starts to evaporate at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, most of the time, the oil in a deep fryer is somewhere between 300 and 400 degrees Fahrenheit. So the first thing you see um, is the bubbling coming up Mm -hmm. and that is um the moisture in the in the food in like the piece of meat or whatever you're putting in there that is that moisture turning into steam and then like releasing in a bunch of bubbles um which i didn't know that but now i do okay wait so it bubbles without the food in it but when the food's in there the steam that's released is the moisture that was in the food yes so it bubbles the bubbling of the oil is probably maybe there's moisture in the oil like there's like water in the oil that is coming out you i don't know, what I'm know. Saying? water and oil don't mix well i don't know <laughs> i don't know anything about oil i, I just feel like know. it probably just bubbles but it doesn't steam when there's no food in there but when you put food in the steam is the moisture from the food that's released through the bubbles yes that's what i was saying i know but i was so i was just like I had to say it all out to like connect it. To okay. Okay. So, um, the, yeah, so the, the moisture is going to escape. Um, and then it, uh, it starts to expand. Um, and so when there, this happens when, uh, your food is coated in some sort of batter, uh, or put into a, like dredged in a mixture, um, uh, has like whipped egg whites in it or other ingredients um, that that can cause the formation of air bubbles, um, and so like hot air will take up more space than cold air, and so any like rapid change in temperature um, that happens when you put food in the fryer causes those air bubbles inside the batter around a piece of fried food to expand. Um, so like when you when you put a ball of dough. In the oven, you know about this because you make bread. It right. Ex- it expands. So heat um, will cause uh, those things to kind of expand. Um, and so... So like you, just the batter on the outside is expanding? Yeah. So when you put... If you put like a piece of battered chicken into a fryer and you do it correctly, it's going to... The batter, when you put it in there, is like all gloopy and thick, right? Most mm-hmm. of the time. But when you put it in the, the fryer... Uh, it's going to um, bring, it's going to make it like lighter and crispier. So that's how when you bite into a piece of fried chicken, you get that nice like crunch. Um, the crunch isn't coming from the meat. Obviously, it's coming from the batter right. that you've um, that you've fried. Um, what if you fry something without batter? Uh, he talks about that in here at some point, and I will get to that in a minute. Um, it's definitely here somewhere. So... Um, the third thing that happens is the proteins um, inside the the meat um, uh, start to, um, or no, sorry, not the not the meat, but the proteins that are inside the batter 
they start to coagulate. Um, and that is what also with um, like the expansion, like making it like light and crispy, right? The coagulation like hardens the batter. Okay, what? So what's coagulation? Um, it's uh, they like come together, right? Like they come closer together. Uh, okay. They like get more rigid. Um, they build structure. Does it say that in here? Is that your word? No, it's. Oh, coagulation. Yeah. Okay. Cooking in hot oil participate precipitates the rapid coagulation of proteins. Wow. So that's what that's, that's straight from the man himself. Um, so that happens. So it, it creates a more rigid structure the to the Bible food man. It creates a lot more rigid structure to fried foods, um, and it transforms the batter or coating into a firm solid. That's the words of Mr. Jake Angelo Bizalt himself. Um so the um, the next so thing it dehydrates mm-hmm. and then it expands. Yep. And then protein coagulation, mm-hmm. which is it's hardening. Basically, yeah. Okay. And not this doesn't happen like it's not like a step by step thing. I don't it's like think all at once. Yeah, it's just all happening at the same time. Gotcha. Um, so then uh, the the food will start to um, go through the Maillard reaction, uh, which is when. Um, Foods reach a certain temperature. Uh, they start the the um, um, uh, is it the sugars? I yeah, think so the sugars are heated. Oh yeah, I was trying to remember what it was. Let me remember what it was. I'm sorry, the book's right in front of you. I know, but I don't want to read it just from the book. I want to have my own. Ex- <laughs> I need okay, to express okay. myself. Um, the. Uh, the sugars inside of the food will, there will be a chemical reaction that sort of brings forth that flavor. Um, so when you uh, make caramelized onions, you're cooking onions on a, on a stovetop and they start to yeah. turn brown um, and they'll like start releasing some liquid and things like that. Like if you, be, if you bite into a raw Vidalia onion, like you're, it's still going to be like kind of bitter and like you're going to have that sharp like oniony taste. But if you cook, then it gets sweeter. Yeah, yeah, it brings out it brings out the sweetness of it. Um, Caramelized onions. Yeah. So um, the Maillard reaction starts to happen, and the Maillard reaction is just the scientific term for when that starts to happen. Um, Okay. um, So it brings out uh, uh, a different flavor to the food, um, and the color uh, will change too, um, which is why caramelized onions are like brownish more Mm -hmm. brown and um kind of maybe kind of a golden color and regular onions are like white or yellow um so that happens um and then also the oil that is around the 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 thing that is being fried um is absorbed into the food um Mm -hmm. because when you have um like a piece of meat or something that is filled with water and the water leaves that thing, what what happens? There's space for something to go, and so the oil comes into it. Um, mm-hmm. And that is why it's important to use different types of oils when you cook, because those like the oil that enters into the meat. If you're making fried chicken, like it's going to um, it's going to inform the flavor that you have later, which is really important. Um, so he, he recommends cooking with peanut oil um, 
cut. I think he says that he likes to cut it with a little bit of lard. Um, because uh, peanut oil has um, a sort of medium or like middle of the line uh, smoke point. And that's kind of really what I wanted to get to um, next and just sort of to wrap up my things that I've been learning about um, is a sort of like oil hygiene. Um, like how do you take care of your oil? Because the oil is probably like this. Well, some would probably say it's like the first most important part. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I think it's the second most important part in cooking next food to next to, yeah, next to like the flavors that you're bringing to the, to every bite, like with your batter, like what kind of stuff are you putting in your batter? But oil is very important. Um, because, and this is what happened when I made fried chicken was I, what did we use? We used like canola oil, vegetable, vegetable oil. Okay. So let me find the smoke point. I just got vegetable because it was cheaper. Okay. So vegetable oil, um, vegetable shortening. Okay. So the smoke point for that is 360 degrees Fahrenheit. So the temperature of the oil was higher than 360 degrees Fahrenheit because I wasn't using a thermometer um, to tell so how hot the oil was. Well, once you once you once you break the smoke point and it starts to smoke, then your oil starts to go bad, mm. um, and it's your oil starts to burn, um, and so the flavors that you get. That's why that that's first that first piece of chicken that I put in it turned completely black um, because yeah. it was just the, the oil was burning. No, um, I really want fried chicken. Me too. I brought the temperature down. Um, we have those chicken thighs. We do have those chicken thighs. Maybe we can make fried chicken, knowing what we know now. Okay. I brought the temperature down of the oil, and it started to cook the chicken at a more like normal sort of golden color. Um, mm-hmm. But at that point, a lot of the damage had already been done, and the oil had to be thrown away because y- you can use your oil again up to like eight times um, at home. Um, you can you can reuse it a bunch. So um, he says the keys uh, to perfect deep frying, and a lot of this has to do with the oil, um, but he says to use a thermometer, so make sure that you're not breaking your smoke point, Mm -hmm. um, because if you do, your oil is going to suck. Don't fear the fat. Um, He says uh, that... um, I didn't read this part. Oh, he's just talking about how to put it in there. Just he just like don't drop it in. Don't drop your food into the oil or it's going to splash. Um just sort of like gently gently let it uh like lower it into the oil and so like let it fall away fat, from you. He's like saying being afraid of the oil, so like dropping it. Yeah. Don't fear the fat. Fat's in oil. Oil is fatty. Don't mm, be right. afraid of it. Okay. Yeah. So just sort of um uh I've always been been use told tongs. to just you could use tongs, but you don't want to put like plastic tongs into a hot oil because it's gonna melt the plastic. Um right, plastic. Exactly. Um but you can drop it in there with your hand, just like let it kind of touch the the surface of the oil, kind of go back and forth and then lay it out away from you. Kind of like you would put a piece of chicken into like a skillet you don't want to lay it toward you because it's going to pop oil on you like you want to lay it away from you mm-hmm. um so you also don't want to crowd up your oil too much um uh that if you put too many 
too many pieces of chicken into the oil, um, your food isn't going to crisp up properly. Um, and food that's covered in batter is probably going to lose some of its coating. Um, so he says to never add more than a half pound of refrigerator temperature food per quart of hot oil. So that's important. Um, uh, he says that dry is good. Um, so you don't want to put like wet stuff into the oil. Um, wet batter. Yeah. Uh, you kind of want it to be, um, like padded dry or coated with a batter or breading. Um, so like you can put like, if you do, um, like an egg mixture first, if you're trying to get your breading to stick, you do a little, a little baby egg wash, and then you coat it in your breading and make sure your breading isn't like gummy and sticky. Um, like make sure it's like lightly coating the outside of the mm-hmm. food. Um, or if you're frying it without coating, you would just dry it first. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is for like, for meat, probably not a good idea to put just like raw meat into a fryer. Uh, but if you were doing like French fries or something, just make sure that they're padded nice and dry before you put them in. Um, so the, the, the other problem that I had with the chicken was that I double breaded it. I don't know why, but I put it, I did the egg wash, I did the breading and then I dipped it again. You didn't realize that I got in breadcrumbs. So you're like, Oh, need more breading because there's no breadcrumbs. Right. We did have breadcrumbs, but that's not the reason why I just didn't, I don't know why I did it. I just did it. I just did it. I double breaded it for whatever reason. Um, and because of that, my, my I did the egg wash and then the breading and then I wet the breading with more egg and then I put more breading on wet breading. Um, and so that first off led to, um, a very like thick sort of chewy breading. It didn't allow it to crisp up enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it wasn't very good. Um, um, there's a lot of other things really, uh, in here. Um, just like keeping your oil clean, Um, this is for reusing it. Like if you cook something in some oil and then you should, you should go through with like a little, um, like wire, uh, um, what is it like a wire, like dipper or something like that, like a metal wire dipper thingy and just like clean out any particles of food that are still in there or like any batter that's Mm -hmm. left over. Um, so you can reuse your oil. Um, you want to keep your food moving while you're while you're frying it. This will allow it to fry more evenly. Um, uh, again, he talks about choosing your oil wisely, so using the right kind of oil for uh, the like based on its smoke point. So if you have to cook chicken to like what is the internal temperature? I think um, you need to cook chicken to like 165 degrees. I think is the internal temperature. Yeah, I think so. Um, so there's really nothing that's going to like the smoke point is like lower than 165 degrees, but just having something that is sort of a middle of the road smoke point. So it's, um, not, it's not going to like get too hot and start to burn, um, on accident because you want to have your oil. Like if you're trying to cook something to 165 degrees, you don't want your oil to be 165 degrees. You want it to be like, I don't know, twice that because, at that point it cooks faster, but then the, I believe that helps the Maillard reaction to occur, um, is if something starts to cook like 
suddenly like you get like when you put something into like the pan you get that nice sizzling sound Mm -hmm. from what i've heard from from chefs that i've uh like looked up on the internet um for cooking tips like they said that that's a good thing you want that sizzling sound um somewhere along the way i heard about that and the Maillard reaction um so that's really it um i mean there's a lot more this book is like right now we're on page 854 there's a lot of pages in here um so if you're looking for uh the end-all be-all of cookbooks um you should pick up the food lab by j kenji lopez alt it's literally a textbook um as far as in size and in heft it's a pretty pretty heavy book um but uh i've i've read some of it and i never uh i never go through without like learning something um it's really really good and he's done the research himself and uh this guy knows what he's talking about so anyway that's my thing that's frying cool yeah can we fry some fried chicken now yes we have to get peanut oil because jake kenji lopez alt says so So, you want to go to the store? Sure. Okay. Well, I think that is going to wrap up our first episode of Better Half Knows Best. We've enjoyed sitting and talking with each other. Um, (laughs) It's like we never do that. We talk to each other all the time. Yeah. It's Um, the first time. The first time we've ever talked. I kind of like you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should get married someday think about it okay okay uh well from all of us here in our bedroom uh thanks for tuning in thanks for listening um if you liked uh if you liked what we're doing here i guess um i don't know you can follow us we'll be on social media uh we're around you can ask us questions about frying things or plastic in sponges and We'll do what we can to answer it. Um, but, uh, yeah. How many times do you think I've said, uh, this episode? I don't know. A lot, probably. A lot. I say, um, a lot. So if that's somebody or something that you're not into, then sorry. I guess it's just part of the show. So. All right. All see right. You later. Okay. Bye. We're headed out now. All right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Bye. 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 Bye.